according to the Casper Wyoming Star Tribune newspaper, a Mr. Charles Taylor was brought into the courtroom of Judge James Fleetwood. Now, Taylor was accused of robbing a shoe store. He robbed it at night point and he had uh, taken a pair of tan hiking boots and sixty nine dollars in cash. Well, during this trial, Taylor decided that he was going to prop his feet up on the defense table. And the judge glanced over and took a double take and realized that Taylor was wearing a pair of tan hiking boots. And the judge thought, well, surely nobody would be so stupid as to wear the boots that he stole to the trial. Well, as the jury uh, deliberated, the judge had an FBI agent to call the shoe store. And he learned that the stolen boots were size 10 and a half. The stolen boots were from lot 1046. And they checked the boots that Taylor wore to the trial. And you know what they found? Yeah, they found they were 10 and a half from lot 1046. Well, the jury nonetheless found Taylor guilty and the judge sent him back to jail in his stocking feet. No doubt about it. Taylor was a guilty man. And we have to wonder about his intelligence as well. But today I want to talk to you about another guilty man. No doubt about it. He was guilty. He was wearing his hiking boots for sure. And his name is Barabbas. Barabbas. He's mentioned by name in four different books of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he's also mentioned again in the book of Acts. His name is not used, but he's mentioned there in Acts 3.14. Now, Barabbas was in jail. And according to the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verse 16, it says Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. We take all the gospel accounts about Barabbas, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We begin comparing them and compiling a list. We find out several things about this man named Barabbas. We find out that he was a rebel. We find out that he was a robber. We find out that he was a murderer. Basically, Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He was guilty of treason. You say, okay, preacher, so what? Why should we talk about Barabbas? Who cares? What does that mean to me today? Well, I hope we'll figure that out together. If you have a Bible, would you open to Luke chapter 23? If you don't have one, there's one in the pew rack there. We're in the New Testament and the New Testament book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And if you'll find the 23rd chapter, we're going to read some verses there. And while you're finding that, I want you to know we have the Lord Jesus here standing before Pilate. He's on trial now. And to understand exactly what we're going to read about, we need to understand a custom they had back then. While you're finding Luke 23, let me share a couple of verses with you. Mark 15, 6 says, Now at the feast, at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. Uh, the book of John says, Well, you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So understand this. They had a custom back then at the Passover feast, that they would get a prisoner released to them, whoever they wanted. Now that you know that, let's read here at verse number 13 of Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 13. If you don't have it or you don't want to look it up, just listen to God's word. Luke 23, verse 13. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, said to them, You brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. This talking about Jesus. 
And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning the things which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one. Notice that release one to them at the feast. We understand that now. And they all cried out with one voice saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Barabbas. Who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them. But they shouted, saying, crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent. Demanding with loud voices that he be crucified and the voices of these men and of the chief chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Now I want you to notice over and over again. It says in that passage from Pilate's own words, Jesus is innocent. Notice it there, verse 14, verse 15, verse 22. Jesus is innocent. He's God in the flesh. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. You've heard about a perfect child? Well, listen, he was. He was truly a perfect child. He never sinned all throughout his life. He never sinned. He was innocent. He was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. But the people cried out, we don't want Jesus. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Now, here's what's interesting. I understand the name Barabbas means son of a father, son of a father. And a fellow by the name of Origen, you probably never met him. He lived from A.D. 186 to 253. Uh, He tells us that his name was actually Jesus Barabbas. Now, I find that interesting. That means the choice was either a choice for Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Christ. The choice was between the son of a father, Barabbas, or the son of the father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though Jesus was innocent and Pilate knew he was innocent, Pilate, as a good politician, caved to the people and he gave them what they wanted. Look again at verses 23 and 24 and 25. But they were insisted, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. He released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus, notice this, to their will. Not what was right. To the people's will, to what the people wanted. And beloved, we go on and we read about the fact they crucified the Lord Jesus. Barabbas went free while Jesus went to the cross. They chose the one who took life over the one who gives life. They chose a sinner instead of the savior. They chose darkness rather than choosing light. Now, if you know this story, if you're hearing it for the very first time, don't answer aloud. But what do you think Barabbas thought about all this? Where was he when all this was taking place? I mean, Jesus is standing there. Where's Barabbas? Well, listen to Mark 15, 7. 
And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. So we understand that Barabbas is there. He's chained with the other prisoners. And they're there that day. And all of a sudden, they hear the door unbolt. And they walk in, the guards do, and they begin to unlock the chains from Barabbas. And then they say to him these words, probably, you're free. You may go. Free. I can go. How? And perhaps they told him that day, somebody named Jesus took your place. Jesus. Now, I can't help but to think that while he may not have had all the information, while he may not have completely understood what was going on, I believe Barabbas probably didn't waste any time getting out of that prison. Do you? (laughs) I mean, if I'm sitting there chained and I'm condemned and I'm in trouble, when they say you're free, I'm free and I'll run faster than a run before my life. Now, the question is, where did Barabbas go? Well, to be honest with you, we don't know. We're not told. I have to wonder in my own heart and mind, and I don't know because Scripture doesn't tell us, but I, I wonder, I wonder if perhaps from a way far away, from a great distance, do you think maybe Barabbas went that day and looked and saw those crosses up on that hill? And he saw a man named Jesus on that middle cross. We don't know. We're not told. But I do believe that Barabbas knew at least three things. Number one, Barabbas knew that he was guilty. Number two, Barabbas knew that he was condemned. And number three, Barabbas knew he was set free. He knew that. He knew that. He knew he was guilty. He knew he was condemned. And he knew he was set free. He was set free of it. He was pardoned because someone else took his place. Jesus took his place. Jesus took his cross. Jesus took his nails. Jesus was his substitute. Now, how can this be? Here's the sinless, perfect son of God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Never sinned, never did wrong, never said a wrong word, never had a wrong thought, never sinned. What about doing good and healing and performing miracles? How can this be? Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, beloved, that's the reason the Lord Jesus came. That's the reason we celebrate at Christmas that little baby there in the manger. That's the God man born of a virgin. And he's there and he grows and becomes a man. The God man, a man among men. And he goes about his life never sinning. But then he says, I will voluntarily lay my life down upon a cross. That we might have eternal life. Listen, Pilate. Thought he was somebody. Pilate thought he really had dominion over Christ. But listen, the Lord Jesus submitted to Pilate. He could have called legions of angels. He could have spoke the world out of existence at any second. He was God. You know this verse. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen to the next verse. Sometimes we stop there. Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But listen to the end. But that the world through him might be saved. Listen, that man named Barabbas, he could honestly say, Jesus took my place. Jesus took my place. But you know what? Barabbas is not the only one that could say that. I can say that as well this morning. Why? Because that was my cross as well. I am guilty. I was condemned. I have sinned. But because of Jesus, I have been set free. Jesus took my place. And here's what else is exciting, beloved. Barabbas could say that. And I could say that, but all of you can say that. Jesus took my place. In fact, would you say it with me aloud today? Let's say it. Jesus took my place. Say it again. Jesus took my place. He paid the pardon. Here's what you need to understand. Though he bore that penalty for sin, we each person individually, we must receive him as our savior. Notice what John 3:16 says again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. But notice the next part that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We have to believe this is more than just saying, yeah, I believe there was a man named Jesus. Yeah, I believe Jesus was a great man or great prophet or whatever. It's more than just belief up here. It's believing with your heart. It's not just a mental assent. It's saving faith. You say, preacher, what is saving faith? Well, it's trusting in, resting on, believing on Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. Recognize that I can't save myself, can't do enough good works, I'm condemned, I'm lost, I'm a sinner. And believing that Jesus took my place, he died for me, he shed his blood, he was on that cross, he was taken down, he was buried. The third day he arose again victorious, he is who he says he is, he did what he said he did. And because of that, I rest my complete and total faith for eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's saving faith. It's recognizing you're a guilty sinner. It's recognizing that you're condemned. It's recognizing you cannot save yourself. Now, salvation, beloved, is a free gift. But you must receive it. Here's the sad news. Some people reject it. I could have a lovely gift for you this morning. Free for the taking. And I could say, here's the gift. You say, well, let me try to pay you for it. No, it's a gift. Well, well, let me try to work for it. No, it's a gift. But there's one thing you have to do. You have to receive the gift. You have to take the gift. You can reject it. You can say no. Listen, I'm going to cut straight with you today, friend. That's the most loving thing I can do is cut straight and preach truth. If you want to die... And go to a place called hell. 
do nothing. You say, preacher, why would you say that? Well, listen to the John 3.18. We read John 3.16. We read John 3.17. Have you ever read John 3.18? Here's what it says. He who believes in him is not condemned. Praise be to God. But listen to the next part. But he or she who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you reject Christ, one day you will die and you'll lift up your eyes in a horrible place called hell. And that's where you'll spend all eternity. Now listen, God doesn't want you to go there. I don't want you to go there. Red Hill family does not want you to go there. But here's the thing. I cannot choose Christ for you. Nobody else can choose Christ for you. Listen, I've got two little boys. I can't choose Christ for them. I can live before them, teach them, train them, share the gospel with them. But each one of those little boys but to place their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ themselves. You have to choose Christ. The pardon has been provided, but you must receive it. Now, we don't know what Barabbas did spiritually. We know and we believe he got up and got out of there fast, but we don't know what he did spiritually. I hope he came to Christ. I hope I'll see him one day and talk with him and say, man, what was that like sitting there? What was that like hearing the words you're free? I don't know what happened with Barabbas. But what about you? What will you do with Jesus Christ? Will you accept the pardon or will you reject it? The year is 1829. A man by the name of George Wilson robbed a mail carrier and killed him. He was sentenced to die, but received a presidential pardon. But you know what? To the shock of the Oval Office, he rejected that pardon. The president of the United States said to George Wilson, you're free. But Mr. Wilson said, no. Well, what do you do with a case like this? Well, the case went to the Supreme Court. And the issue the Supreme Court had to decide was this. If the president of the United States gives you a pardon, aren't you pardoned? Can you reject a pardon given by a sovereign, by a ruler, by someone in authority? And Chief John Marshall rendered the decision. It simply read, a pardon rejected is no pardon at all. Unless the recipient of the pardon accepts the pardon, then the pardon cannot be applied. And he's right. A pardon rejected is no pardon at all. Listen, friend, Jesus Christ is your pardon. But you can reject him. You can reject him. What will you do with Jesus? He says, I love you. He says, I love you so much, I'm going to give my life on the cross. I'm going to shed my blood for you. I'm going to take your sin upon myself. I'm going to die. I'm going to let them place me in a borrowed tomb. And then I'm going to rise again victorious over death, hell, and the grave. 
And I want to give you eternal life. But you must receive it. Will you today? If you haven't already, will you today? Will you come to faith saying, Lord Jesus, I believe I take you as my Savior? Or will you, like Mr. Wilson, say, no, I reject the pardon? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one moving about, no one wrestling papers, nobody doing anything but sitting there very quiet, very still. And I want to speak to you today, friend, very quickly. Before we have prayer. Have you received Jesus as your savior? Have you received the pardon? The forgiveness of sin. New life in Christ. He died for you. He arose for you. He lives for you and he has. He is your pardon. Will you accept him? In a moment, we're going to pray. We're going to sing a closing song. And during that invitation, I'm going to invite you today, if you'd like to come and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, to come down and take me by the hand. I'm going to be standing right down here in front. And I want to put you as someone who will take a Bible and share with you the gospel. Share with you how you can have new life in Christ. And as we begin singing today, I want you to step out. You say, well, I'd be embarrassed. I need to be embarrassed. Listen, Christ died for you. Will you not come today and say, yes, I want him? That's what we're going to do in a moment. We're going to stand and sing and we're going to begin singing. And as you need Christ today, you step out. You come and take me by the hand and say, preacher, I want Jesus. And we'd love to lead you to Christ. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for new life. Now, I pray at this invitation time, people be submissive to the leading of thy Holy Spirit. I pray today people would walk down this aisle, take you by the hand and say, yes, I want Jesus. Lord, I pray today you'd work in an awesome way in this invitation. In the Savior's name I pray. Amen. Our closing hymn. Is number 307. Just as I am. As we stand and sing today, friend, I'm standing here waiting for you. Jesus is waiting for you. I would invite you to step out as we sing. Just as I am. And I'll put your son up the Bible and share with you the gospel and make sure that you understand and you come across that. Let's stand and sing. 307. Just as I am.